So as Robin's already said, we're starting a new series today, and uh, you would have had a card uh, about that series. The series is roughly um, based or stimulated by this book, Sustainable Power by Simon Holly, which was published a few years ago, and um, is an excellent book. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to read it. It's full of examples from his own life. It's very easy read. It, go, it, just, it just seems to go from one easy read, wow, example, to the next easy read, wow, example. And you get to the end of the book going, wow. So, there you go. And uh, it's, it's an excellent book on sustainable power. And the point of that is this, that I don't know about you, but I have been frustrated through the years of watching other countries and other cultures and other nations receive enormous blessing from God and revival and all sorts of things happening. And God's done good things in this country. But I want more. Don't you? It's summer, it's hot, but I still want more. Don't you? And um, I, want, I want more power. I want to be more effective. Yeah. You know, sometimes when uh, things have happened in my life that have resulted in people being blessed, you sort of think, oh, wow. God's used me. Wow. That's amazing, wow. to quote Robin. That's fantastic, to quote Robin. It's, it's all amazing and fantastic when it happens, but it doesn't happen enough, does it? No. What's the answer to that one? Not wow. And so, you know, it's been frustrating personally for me, and um, I'm sure for many others, as through our lives, which are a bit longer than most of yours, we have asked God to bring revival to England. And we've asked God to use us in that. And there's been outbreaks of amazing stuff. And God has moved the church on unbelievably since I was a kid. Uh, you know, the comparison between then and now is amazing. And also, but we still want more. If you want to turn your Bibles to John, Gospel of John, and verse, uh, chapter 7, and verse 37. John seven thirty-seven. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want you to know that Jesus has been glorified and the Spirit has been given. 
Yeah? And we're all recipients of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is amongst us. The Spirit dwells with you and he dwells with me. The Holy Spirit is God. The God of the universe dwells with you and me through the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of this is that we might know rebirth and we're all happy with that. We know rebirth. That is... and. And so when we look at that, that's fine. But when we look at the continuation of our Christian life thereafter, what the Holy Spirit is about is the flow of living water through your life. It's great to say, wow, I'm born again. And that's fantastic. And it's... But... What about the rest of my life? Is it flowing with rivers of living water? Am I getting refreshed, first of all? And then am I expressing the power and life-changing power of God to others through the flow of the river, (laughs) through the flow of the rivers of living water that should be in my life? And so... It says in Proverbs, in Proverbs 4.23, it says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart in full vigilance. Because there can be blockages to the flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. God wants to bless the world, doesn't he? And God wants to bless the world with his empowering and salvation. Yeah? And he's chosen to do it through you and me. Wow. And so today, if it's not happening... and I've got to admit in my life largely it's not, then there must be some hindrances, some blockages. It's not God withholding his blessing to the world. There must be some blockages in me that stop the flow. And that is the heart of this book by Simon Holly, Sustainable Power, when he discovered that that was true in his own life. And uh, it's magnificently written and very, very, very revealing. Like all Simon Holly is very open about himself in public, and um, it's a tremendous book. But it can also be true of us too, can't it? And so this series is about these blockages that might be withholding the Spirit of God flowing through us. Some of them we may not be aware of and we need to be made aware of. Some of them we may already be have a, you know, half an inkling. Even as I'm speaking now, you're thinking, oh, yeah, I know. That may be true of you. Um, And we want, in this church, to see if we can chip away at these blockages and chip them out of the way and get rid of them. And so today we will face the first one And at the end of my talk, there will be time for you to repent and come forward 
and stand before the Lord and remove that blockage. Isn't that good? So the first one is this. This first rock is self-reliance or self-sufficiency. Okay? Self-reliance or self-sufficiency. And of course, we all know about the great songs of self-reliance, don't we? Yes? Regrets. I've heard a few. But then again, too few to mention. Am I getting this right? Something like that. I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. It's the great anthem to self. I did it my way. And do you know you can be a Christian and still do it your way? You can rejoice in being born again and say, wow, fantastic, amazing. And you still go through your life doing it your way. Did you know that? It's gone quiet in here. There's another song that's sort of at the other end of the extreme, really. You know, that I did it my way. And this song goes, Que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. Que sera, sera. Well, there's the two extremes. I did it my way. And I just let life drift on. Whatever will be, will be. Both are wrong, of course, because the way we want to live is God's way. The way we want to live is with God's plan. God has a plan for your life and you should be running along its tracks. God has has a way of, of blessing you and loving you and enhancing your life that you can miss out because you try and do it your way. I want to take you into the Old Testament. Oh yes, but before I do that, why do we get like this? Why? You know, you get saved, you're rejoicing, God's with me, wow, you know, isn't it tremendous? Why do we get like this? And I think the key is this, that really we don't believe God is good. And that he has the best for me. That's really right at the heart of it. The cruncher is, I don't believe I'm really a son of God. I don't believe God is really like a good father. You're a good, good father, we sing. And a lot of people sing it and think, and by their behaviour, say, I don't really believe it. Is God a good, good father to you or not? You know, we need to 
see that that is true because if you're not convinced that Father has good gifts for you, you will go through life not discovering the joys of being a Christian and the joys of seeing your life being influential. We have this great men's group, Influential Men. Hey guys, we can be influential. We need to understand that the key to this is knowing God as Father and knowing that you are uniquely loved and blessed by him. Let's, let's say if you stay in doing it your way, you will try to achieve things that will slip out of your fingers. You will get defensive about your life with other Christians. You will get task-driven, trying to achieve. Thinking your performance still matters. So I want to take you to the Old Testament and to some stories from the Old Testament about Saul, King Saul. We're going to look at King Saul and we're going to see how his self-reliance wrecked his life with God and actually wrecked his life. His self-reliance. So there isn't time to read all the scriptures. Oh, are you relieved or what? Because there's several chapters. So I'm going to summarise these for you. So the first thing is this. The first instance is his impatience under pressure. Impatience under pressure. Are you like that? So here is Saul and he's newly made king. And the Philistines are all over the place. That's their enemies, the Israeli enemies. And the, the enemies of, of the nation are sort of occupying their land, sort of um, keeping them down. And there's a rebellion against this. And Jonathan, Saul's son, attacks a garrison of the enemy and defeats it. And Saul tells the nation to gather because they're going to win because he, Saul, has defeated this garrison, although it was actually Jonathan. You see, he took to himself what should have been Jonathan's honour. You ever done anything like that? It should have been Jonathan's honour. Anyway, Samuel, Samuel was said, yeah, I will come and bless the armies of the Lord and I will sacrifice to God for our victory in seven days. And so Saul is there and the 
Philistine army gets bigger and bigger because they realise that a, a major rebellion and attack is going to come. And so they are like a swarm of, swarm of ants across the floor of the valley. And the Israel people, the Israeli people, they start to think, this is, this is too much. And they have seven days to think it's too much. And they start to drift off. They start to desert and go and hide in caves. And Saul is under pressure. What do I do in this situation? I need, I need to attack now before I lose more of the army and before the Philistines grow even bigger. I need, you know, my idea of the best thing to do right now is attack. This is, this is what I think. This is my gut instinct. This is what I must do. But I can't wait for Samuel. And Samuel's not turning. You can imagine every day, can't you? As some more people slink off and Samuel watches them go and thinks, oh my word, sorry, Saul watches them go. And he thinks, where is this Samuel? Where, where is this boy? Where is he? He's, he's going to come and bless us or else we'll be in trouble. So where is he? And at the end of the seven days, as the seven days finish, Saul makes a fateful decision. He decides that he will offer the sacrifices himself. <clears throat> so, so as king, he usurps the authority of the priest and does what the priest should do because he wants to get on with his plan. And people pray for things. And people think about things, don't we? And we pray for them and we think, this would, this would be great if I could do this. It would be great if I could do that. It would be great if I could be promoted here. It would be great if I could get that job there. It would be great, wouldn't it? I'll pray. And after a little while and you think, God's not answering, what shall I do? What shall I do? The danger is this, that you plump for your plan rather than wait for God's plan. And for Saul, this, this is what happened. As soon as he started making these sacrifices, up rolls Samuel. Hello, 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 he says. What's going on here then? And Saul is in a bit of a pickle to explain what he's doing. And Samuel says to him, because you are not obedient to, to God's plan, your kingship is finished. Well, you say, that's a bit harsh. What he's saying is, it was God's plan to make you king. But you have failed God in your life thereafter. It's a tough one, isn't it? I want to do it my way. It's a tough one. Impatience under pressure. Secondly, jealousy and comparison with others. In the, in the next chapter, 1 Samuel 14, Saul is, again, worrying about the Philistines and worrying about these battles with the Philistines and, and he, he has no idea what to do. 
He has no idea at all. Because his communication with God the Father has been sort of intermittent at best. And he's got no passion and no understanding, no vision for what's going on in, in his life and in the life of the nation. He's got, and he's become, as a result, he's become reclusive and lethargic. As a result, he's not taking part in things that he used to take part in, probably. As a result, here he is, in this camp, doing nothing. And Jonathan, his son, says to his armour-bearer, goodness, we ought to do something. God, this is God's army, this is God's people. God will be with us. Let us, let us go and see if God will be with us. And Jonathan attacks in this, in this um, valley and he says to armour-bearer, if, he puts out a fleece basically, he says, if they call us up, we'll go up. If they call us up, God is with us. We'll go up and we'll win the day. And so they're down in the valley and the Philistine garrison shouts down to them, hey, you Israelites, come up here, we'll show you something. And Jonathan goes up with his armour bearer and slays all these Philistines, you see, kills them all. Old Testament stories are always gory, okay? And he just <clears throat> slays them, wins this great victory, the Philistines all panic and start to flee away. <clears throat> and Saul is, is sort of woken up out of his stupor. Why, well, there's a commotion, what's going on, you know? And they say, the Philistines are fleeing. And they discover who's missing from the Israelite camp, and it's Jonathan and his armour bearer. Whoa. See, he's already taken Jonathan's honour once before. He's jealous of his own son, because his own son had more spiritual authority and spiritual nous than he did. Tough position to be in. And his response is not to thank God that Solomon has shown... Uh, I, it's, 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 it's not just that he's shown the way... It's not just that Jonathan has shown the way. He should have been rejoicing that God had led him, that God had used his gifts, that God had given him that ability and gifting. He should have been rejoicing in his son's ability and gifting. He should have been rejoicing in who he was in Christ. He should have been looking at someone else and saying, what a great guy. Instead of which, he makes a stupid decision. He doesn't communicate with God, because basically his communication with God is, start, is, is finished, really. I mean, it's gone. 
departed. Left this mortal coil. It's dead. It's gone. And he makes this stupid decision. And he says, okay, army, you are exhausted. But we've got to finish this off quick. So I declare a fast today until the Philistines are finished. Well, stupid. Everyone knows an army marches on its stomach. Isn't that right? You've got to supply the army. People aren't going to fight on an empty stomach. And so this army struggles on in the chasing down the Philistines and Jonathan, not knowing about this particular edict, he takes some honey. And it's found out. And he's caught out. And Saul even says, when the people say, what will be done to the person who has done this sin? Saul even says then, even if it's my son Jonathan, he will die. Well, how ridiculous, how stupid can you get? Because, of course, it turns out to be his son Jonathan. And now he's got all these people in front of him, watching him, what's he going to do now? And so what he does is, he says, Jonathan, you must die. And Jonathan says, I will die, it's fine. Because he's worried about his position in front of the people. He's worried about what other people will think of him. And he's got himself in this corner and he can't get out of it. And what a mess he's in. Because he never had the right heart attitude at the beginning. Now he's in this mess. And wow, what's going to happen now? Well, what happens is that the people rebel against Saul. That's what happens. And this people that he's trying to impress turn against him en masse. And say, Jonathan shall surely not die. We're all agreed on this. This is, this is Jonathan who's led us into battle. Hint, hint, in a way you haven't. This is the Jonathan who's done great things for us. He is. And. And. Wow. He's a great guy. He's followable. He followed the Lord and we'll follow him. And suddenly Saul has a complete rebellion on his hands. He's lost all his authority. He hasn't got any spiritual authority at all. And it's so sad when Christians who start off well lose their spiritual authority Did you know you had spiritual authority? Was it even in your mind that you had spiritual authority? That when you walk into a room, you take God with you, isn't that authority? That when you walk into the, when you get on the train and your commute, that carriage has God in it. 
and that God is interested in people all over and that you might find yourself talking to someone on that train with spiritual authority. You have God with you. You're a son, daughter of the King of Kings. You have the Spirit with you. The Spirit can flow out and bless all those around you. You're like in a bubble of the authority of the King of Kings. And wherever you go, that bubble is there. You are completely God's. And he loves you. And he thinks you're wonderful and great. And he wants to say over you, amazing. And he wants to say over you, fantastic. You've lost it, guys. Come on. (laughs) And God says over you, wow. Did you know that? But Saul had lost all his authority because he did it his way. And he really messed up that time. Okay, the third one. It's 1 Samuel 15. Knowing best for you without reference to God. See, again, what happens here is, (coughs) what happens here is, that (coughs) Saul is told by God through Samuel that he must destroy all these Amalekites. And um, he must do that without exception. And so he wins the battle and he... Oh, thank you, that's fantastic and awesome. Oh, wow, that water. So he wins the battle... But he does not kill everyone. He saves the king and he saves all the good cattle and all the good sheep. Well, they look good. We'll keep those. They look nice. We'll keep those. He's completely forgotten that Samuel said, kill everything. And part of the problem is, of course, that the people are doing it as well. You know, the people that are around him are saying, well, we like that. We'll have that one. And, the, you know, the, all around, people are pillaging rather than killing. They are taking rather than killing. And so, you know, Samuel has this habit of turning up at the wrong time. And so Samuel turns up. There's some, there's some great stuff in this chapter. I, I do want to just let you have a bit of it. <laughs> It's, so Samuel turns up and he <clears throat> okay verse 9 Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good they fancied a barbecue and would not utterly destroy them all that was despised and worthless they devoted to destruction. <laughs> oh, look at that sheep. What a mess. 
But this one's nice. We'll add that one. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed all the commandments of the Lord. And Samuel says, Oh, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? And the lowing of the oxen that I hear. Oh, ah. Well, we thought it would be a good idea to keep these to sacrifice them to the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, stop. Stop. He had plans of his own. And when challenged about it, he tried to spiritualise it. He tried to make it sound good. When challenged by spiritual authority about the plans for his, for his uh, next few days, weeks, he spiritualised it to make it sound good. But it was not good. You have plans that you know are your own, not the Lord's? Stop. Let the Lord lead you. Well, what's the key then to breaking this rock of self-reliance? Well, like I said at the beginning, it's the key of your relationship with God. Are you comfortable? In fact, are you more than comfortable with your Lord and Father? Is he your best friend? Is he the one you go to? and expect supernatural and powerful things happening in your life. It's a challenge for all of us, isn't it? Not to be self-reliant, but to have faith. Faith in God. It's difficult to have faith when things are starting to unravel. It's difficult to have faith when your best laid plans are going astray and you're in a pickle. It's difficult to have faith. But at each of these stages, Saul could have repented properly and got rid of the problem. But he didn't. And this is the sadness of it because. Hmm. This is the sadness of it because what happens is that he doesn't understand his position. And in 15 verse 7, oh no, no, 17. Yes, 17. Samuel said to Saul, Though you are little in your own eyes, 
Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission. The words are not often repeated in preaching, but I think they are an extraordinarily powerful few words from Samuel. Samuel said to Saul, though you're little in your own eyes, though you look at yourself and think, I'm, I'm, I'm not much, I, I, there's nothing much in me, there's not much power in me, this is the basis for the power of God. Do you see? Samuel was saying to him, you did so well in staying humble, you did so well in thinking of yourself as, as little, you, 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 were, you were going the right way. You, you knew that it would be God's power, not yours, in your life. That would make a difference. Because you had no power. You knew you had no power. But God came. God came to you. God came and anointed you king and the Lord sent you on a mission. This is the huge sadness. That Saul did not pursue the king of kings. Saul did not view him as father. And when we come to the... As the, the um, Situation with Goliath, when we come to that, David appears on the scene. The comparison between the two is stark. Saul, well, he doesn't know what to do again. It's like like before, he's he's hopeless, he has no vision, he has no passion. Because he's not in touch with the king of kings, he has no vision, he has no passion. He's been anointed, he's started... And you've started in your Christian life, you've you've been born again, and that's fantastic and terrific and wow. But what's going on since then? Well, for Saul, it was not a lot. And he has no relationship with Father God in heaven and no relationship to turn to. When the Philistines throw Goliath at him, there's nothing he can do or say. And David comes along. And David comes along with passion and desire. And he says, Who is this Philistine who defies the armies of the Lord? His vision even goes beyond the reality of what was happening on the ground because the armies of the Lord looked decrepit and useless. The armies of the Lord around Saul. But David can see the truth, the spiritual truth, and he can see beyond that and he can see that this is the army of the Lord that's being challenged here. What's the Lord going to do about that? Not what is Saul going to do about it, but what is the Lord going to do about it? What, What will happen? If someone steps forward to deal with this, someone with passion and a relationship with God that can be grasped and held on to, what is going to happen then? Wow! That is a wow. 
And we know that Saul said, oh, David, wear my, wear my armour, take my armour, put it on. You know, and we have the, the humorous section of, of, of David trying to hold up Saul's armour. He can hardly walk, clanking along, clankety-clank. And in the end he says, oh, take the stuff off. What are we doing here? And David reasserts his relationship with God as more important than Saul's armour. And that he will go out there in a relationship with the Lord and see what the Lord will do, what the Lord will tell him to do. And the Lord tells him to invent a new weapon of war, the sling. Where he's killed animals before, now he's going to kill Goliath with this sling. How many Goliaths in our lives while we sit around passionless with no plans because we wanted to do it our way but we're actually not quite sure what to do at all. And God's saying, oh, please, trust me. Please, build your relationship with me. Please, I love you. Let's walk together. Put away your self-reliance and let's see what I can do through you. That's, that's what God is saying. He's always saying it. He's saying it again today. Put away your self-reliance and see what I can do through you. Yeah, it means being patient sometimes when you're itching to do something. But most of all, it means obedience. Obedience to what God speaks to you and tells you and boldness and passion like David that will take you into a whole new realm of living. Speaking to myself as well as to anyone else, this is what I need. If things are going to change, I need to put aside self-reliance with its jealousies I need to put aside self-reliance with its impatience. I need to put aside self-reliance with all the mess-ups that it makes and trust him who loves me so much and be comfortable with who I am in Christ. Not trying to please others, not trying to please people, just comfortable to be me. David was comfortable to be himself. He knew his Lord and he knew the power at his fingertips. Let's pray.
Maybe that we should sing that song, Guardian, again. Lord, would you just touch our hearts now? Those of us who have been self-reliant, those of us who know that that's been a problem, we, we just don't seem to be able to relax into who you've made us to be. Lord, would you help us? We want to be David's, not Saul's. Lord God, will you help us now to put aside self-reliance? Such a false God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.